So, Berto, uh, I sent out a survey to all the patrons of the podcast asking them what sort of deep dives they wanted me or us to do. And the top two were narcissistic personality disorder and suicide. And I have uh, delivered on those deep dives. Right. The narcissistic episode, I believe, was 11, 12 hours or something. The suicide episode was 12 or 13 hours. Jeez. And so I'm working my way through the list, and I want the third thing is perfectionism, I believe. So I feel like I need to be perfectionist about that one. And spend six years on that one. Right. But further down the list is this concept called invisible loyalties. Mm. So I thought we would do an episode in which we analyze you and your life to see what sort of things you have that we might term as an invisible loyalty. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Humberto Castaneda. I bottle kombucha. So this, that was just lazy because you're just looking at kombucha. This isn't kombucha. Oh, it's not? No, this is a little tea with blood orange and it's a herbal infusion. See? Oh, okay. This is not my product. I do not drink my own product. <laughs> kombucha will kill you. <laughs> yeah. So invisible loyalty. So let me just explain the concept before we get in, in, into analyzing you, Berto. Uh, and feel free to ask you know questions as we go here. The concept of invisible loyalties was developed by a theorist in family therapy. His name is uh, Ivan Bavava Drago. S- yeah, some some very unpronounceable. I think Hungarian last okay. name uh, Dash Naj. Uh, it's it's spelled Nagy, N-A-G-Y, and everyone in my business, we just refer to him as Naj, because it's easier to uh, pronounce and remember. Uh, the Invisible Loyalties concept was one of his most famous concepts. He lived from 1920 until 2007. He had a book in the 1970s titled Invisible Loyalties, and it became popular in the 1980s, along with many other family therapy concepts. The idea goes is that we are all loyal to our parents. So it's a weird word, loyal, mm-hmm. right? It, it, like when I say loyal, what kind of things come up for you? Royalty. Um, like the, loyal to the king. Yeah, military, uh, family, brand. Loyal to a brand, yeah. right. So I feel like either Naj was taking a risk with this term or – he just had a different sense, or the t- at the time, it, there was a different sense of what loyalty m- meant. I feel like today, loyalty has some bad connotations, you know, mm. like you shouldn't be loyal to things without thinking about it. You know, loyalty is... Blind kind of, loyalty might yeah, be a kind, problem. Right. But if we think about it, loyalty is a good thing, you know, you're loyal to your spouse, you're loyal to right. your kids, you're loyal to your uh, organization as long to as... Your- political party you're loyal to your political party <laughs> which in back in the old days actually well i don't think it ever meant anything good but anyway right. um so but what naj was talking about was you know we get a lot from our parents they give us love attention food shelter uh you know they protect us from predators you know there's right. there's just so much especially when we're very young that our parents give to us. And in return, what we give back as children, because we can't give, we can give love, but we can't right. really give that as much love. We can't give like um, undying love, right? right? We, we, but, and we certainly can't give shelter and money and food and all this, and, and even maybe even attention because we're not mature enough yet. And it's not even, if we are giving like hugs and things, it's not like, we're doing it mostly because we want the hug. Right. You know. It's not because we intuit the other person yeah. wants it. It's because right. it's I actually need, something I that I need. Support. So I'm yeah. A, yeah. So it's mutual in that way, <laughs> but it can be it's sort of randomly mutual in some ways. Not that all kids are incredibly selfish, but right. uh, it's developmentally normal for kids to not be able to give much back. But right. what they can give is loyalty. Is what Naj is saying. In other words, you can give back um, you know, uh, ob- you can obey their rules. Right. Like good kids in good families obey their parents. Right. It's something that any parent absolutely knows. And, but I feel like 
it it sounds funny in today's world to say such a thing. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, right. It's like obey. I don't obey. I don't. I don't you shouldn't make children obey. <laughs> you know, but it's Conform. like. Yeah, you should you should let kids be who they are, and it's just like okay, obviously you don't have kids. In fact, there's the whole Bans- Banksy uh, obey meme, right. right? Oh, the word obey is has a lot of loyalty. Yeah, obey loyalty. These are very bad terms, but any parent knows, like you, you fucking obey. <laughs> you fucking need your kids to obey you, and if they don't, they literally could die because right. they don't eat. They walk out into the road. Right. They you know, uh, play Stop next. Stop playing with a cobra. Right. Uh, you need your kids to obey you. And kids don't necessarily know that it's life or death, but they feel like I'm getting a lot from my parents. They give me so much. Okay, I'll give back <laughs> right. obedience. I remember when I was a kid feeling that way. There were times when I felt like it was illogical, <laughs> some of the rules that were put on me. Right. And Why I, do I need to do that? Right. But... Because I had mm-hmm. goodwill from my parents and family, I sacrificed that right. for them. I was loyal to them. Right. Especially because, like, when you're a kid, I've noticed this with friends that have kids too. Like, um, as a kid, when you're doing an activity, let's say you're jumping on the couch and seeing how far into the living room you can jump, right? You could do this for 10 hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, right? The adults in the space, at some point, at first they might, if they let you jump on furniture, sometimes they don't. But if they do, at first they're like, oh, that's funny. They're having fun. After like 10 minutes of this, they're like, all right, that's enough. And as a kid, you're like, why? Right. Why do I have to stop? Just stop. We're trying to have a conversation. But why? (laughs) I could go on for 10 hours. (laughs) Right. To to the kid, it feels like parents are just out right. to ruin your fun times. Why are we leaving the park? Right. Well, we are because we have to go. But why? <laughs> yeah, why? Like, well, uh, have adult, to go. <laughs> adult things, you know. Yeah. Um, or just I am getting I'm tired. Anno- well, I'm getting annoyed <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. with this process, right. you know. So, so kids give back loyalty and any any parent who has kids or anyone who's around kids knows that this loyalty is very important. Obedience right. is very important. Uh, kids listening to you and uh, regarding your opinion or your feelings about something is very important. Right. Also, other loyalty aspects that children have are preferring their parents to other adults. Right. So, <laughs> you know, it's, they're not, it's not just like, you know, if another parent or another adult comes along and starts giving them love and attention and food. They're not interchangeable easily. <laughs> yeah. The kids don't just walk off with those people, right? right. They're like, well, I'm loyal to these two people. These right. two people are, you know, the people I'm loyal to. And even, right. and even if other people give me things, that's great, <laughs> but I'm still loyal to these people. Another aspect of loyalty is we mimic them. We will mimic our parents. Have you ever noticed that people walk like their parents? Oh, interesting. Have you ever noticed that? I guess I do walk like my dad used to walk. Really? It's so funny. As a kid, I would go, we'd go on the street or whatever, and I just remember my dad walking so fast, and I'd always have to try to keep up. And me and my cousin, I remember us remarking like, oh man, he's walking so fast. And then that's just how I started walking. Nowadays, when I go walking with my dad, he's like, oh, slow down, slow down. (laughs) Well, I have this weird fascination when I'm in public about uh, identifying family members, particularly uh, children and their parents, mm, adult adult children. Oh, okay. And I will be at the mall or the movie theater or something, and I'll be like, ah, that guy is an exact in-between <laughs> of the mom and the dad, you know? <laughs> and... J- j- like I look for you, you can see certain markers, like sure. the way the nose looks, or the way the ears look, or the the hairline, uh, the way their butts look is actually, <laughs> can actually be really similar. The way they walk, right. uh, the sort of coloring of their hair, you know, there's all there's all these sort of markers that you can look to 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 say, yeah, definitely that's that person is that person's offspring. Right. I hear if you analyze their DNA, you can also tell. Yeah, and. Uh, the way people walk, the way people talk. I mean, you know, everyone knows that there are times when 
if you, especially if you have siblings, where people will say, oh my God, you and your brother laugh identically. You, you know, you're, you have the exact same laugh. <laughs> uh, me and my siblings, I have three siblings, and there are multiple aspects of us that are identical that I didn't realize until I brought other people in to the circle and they would see my siblings right. and, and say, oh my God. You guys are the same. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly the same. You know, you look similar, but you talk the same. Your voice, right. tom- your timbre is the same. And we tend to believe that our timbre and our cadence and, so our, unique. and our laugh and our, our walk is either unique or innate or just us. But all you have to do is look at kids and, you know, and families and realize, like, there's a lot of different ways to talk. There's a lot of different ways to laugh. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to cry. And right. people tend to mimic what they see. And this is an, another part of loyalty. We try through these methods as children to uh, gain love and approval. Mm. It, it's logical, right? It's yep. If I'm five and I want my parents to love me, the more I am like my parents, the more likely they will love me. Yeah, intuitively, you just kind of probably feel that. Right. So was Steven Tyler singing to his daughter when he said, walk this way, talk this way? That's gross. <laughs> uh, what is that song about? Uh, talking about how his sibling or his children should imitate him. I think it's like, uh, isn't that, it's a, it's a, it's a sexy song, right? I guess so. Uh, what are the lyrics to that song? Just give me a kiss. Uh, wait, talk for a second, because I'm going to uh, Walk up. this way, talk this way. Um, I don't know. Let's see. Because I always thought the first song I ever heard of, right, of uh, Aerosmith was the, uh, the, the one with the girl who's like a tramp or something. Do you remember that song? No, but we got the lyrics here. Okay. Backstroke lover always hide neath the cover till I talked to my daddy, he say. He said, you See, ain't... See, daddy. There's a daddy thing. Yeah. He said, you ain't seen nothing till you're down on a muffin. Oh, boy. Then you're sure to be a change in your ways. Okay. Back, backstroke lover always hide neath the cover till I talked to my daddy, he say. To daddy, there's the daddy. Yeah, again. yeah. Um, I met a cheerleader, was a real young bleeder. Oh, no. Oh, boy. Oh, my, what? Oh, boy. All the times I can reminisce. Ah, uh, the best thing loving with her sister and her cousin. Wait, what? S- started with a little kiss like this. She saw, seesaw swinging with the boys in the school with your feet flying up in the air, singing hey diddle diddle with the kitty in the middle, you you be swinging like you just don't care. So oh, I took, boy. I mean, so I took a big chance with the high school dance with a missy who was ready to play. Was it, was it me she was fooling because she knew what she was doing, taught me how to walk this way. She told okay. me to walk this way. I mean, I just want to say this this line again. I'm surprised the internet hasn't <laughs> highlighted this because this is a popular song. Sure, Run DMC redid it. Blah blah blah. In fact, this song uh, completely kickstarted Aerosmith's uh, yeah. ca- career, which beca- they became massive stars in the '80s and '90s. Right. And it was because Run DMC decided the to do crossover, this song. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, I met a cheerleader who was a real young bleeder. I Yikes, mean, man. Jiminy. No, like... I mean, I guess he's talking about when he was in high school. It's it. I was a high school loser, never made it with a lady till the boys told me something I missed. Then my next door neighbor with a daughter had a favor, uh, took me just a little kiss like this. So I th- he's talking about when he was in high school. Right. Uh, but geez, young bleeder. That's pretty awful. Um, okay. Not there's anything wrong. Maybe that just means she's a bleeding heart liberal. Well, and honestly, you know, there's nothing wrong with menstruation. We don't need to, like, right. uh, stigmatize that. So we are loyal to our parents when they give us love. So we get love from them, attention, shelter, blah, blah, blah. And we give back love. Ragdoll. Ragdoll. That's the one, that first one I ever heard. Ragdoll, living in a movie, hot tramp, daddy's little cutie. That's the daddy's little cutie. Jiminy. He's a lot of daddy's, daddy issues. Daddy stuff. Yeah. Okay, so 
so we get love, we give back loyalty. Naj asserted this. However, when there are problems in a family, abuse, neglect, bad parenting, mistreatment, um, not giving the child enough love, uh, trauma, war, poverty, social, societal oppression, marginalization, this sort of thing, this creates a scenario where the child isn't actually getting enough love and attention. Mm. So the child uh, wants to give back loyalty, but is uh, ambivalent about it because the child also does not want to give back loyalty. Oh. So, that, so that's, that's... Because they haven't received enough of the thing that they would need to feel like they want to give back loyalty. Right. Because oh. that's the main thing that children can <laughs> give. You know, parents can give love, right. attention, all you know, all these all various things. But kids really, their main thing, the main thing they can give back is obedience, loyalty, uh, you know, preference, and this kind of stuff, and mimicry. Right. But because the child isn't getting enough, they're like, "Well, do I really want to give back that much?" And so, <laughs> but we have this deep need to be loyal. We we desire. We don't just give it back in reciprocity. We actually have a need to feel like we're an aff- we're affiliative with with our family group you know and and it seems like that extends <clears throat> in many meta ways right like we need to be loyal to our country to our football team to our um like political party to our religion to our yeah. you know everything right <clears throat> one could argue that it's just a adult manifestation of this child need right. And it's interesting that you bring that up because I don't think I'd ever thought about that. You know, I, I'm a Husky football fan and have always been. And, and why? Because you yeah. did you rationally decide that they were statistically the best team that you should root for? Right. No. <laughs> and there are many years where they weren't. And so in this model or this metaphor, it's what are they giving me? You know, well, right. what they're giving me is uh, there's a group of college friends that we watch we we watch every game together right so i get a lot from that i get you know camaraderie and friendship right excitement you get your identity yeah identity identity. which is interesting because your parents gave you your identity too right yeah they gave you your name your last name where you lived who your surrounding people were all these things yeah and when you're proud of that then you, you give tremendous loyalty you know right like when people have white pride for example right um, so, I mean, no joke, but so when we are ambivalent about our experience growing up, then we're also ambivalent about our loyalty. We want to give, but we also don't want to, to give. And so we express some of this loyalty through what we call invisible loyalty. Naj uh, used the word invisible. It's just another word for unconscious. He, Naj okay. came from psychiatry and Freudian words, okay. and he was trying to make it less complicated. Okay, so invisible means like sort of uh, not explicit. Invisible like, to the person. So okay. in fact, a lot of times people are invisibly loyal. When people have invisible loyalties, people on the outside can see it, but they can't see it themselves. Because the idea is, is that they can't admit to themselves that they actually are trying to mimic their parents. Sure. They're trying to be obedient to their parents they, because they are so angry at their parents and, or they're just sort of, uh, you know, they just sort of, well, they're sort of met about I their see. parents. And so they can't admit to themselves that they are deeply still, as an adult, right. still wanting love and attention and, and all those good things from their parents, and, and they're still invisibly loyal. So we, And an outside observer can pick that up. Potentially, yeah. So the ways that this often manifests is, is in destructive ways. So we're not, just in, we're not just loyal to our parents. So all of us are loyal. So even in good situations, uh, every, no parent is perfect, right? right? And so we will find ourselves being loyal to parents who— uh, among aspects of them that we would rather not be loyal. Right. We, we can't differentiate between good things and bad things about our parents. We're, we're loyal to the whole thing. And so every, for example, every parent has had the experience of saying something to their child and thinking, oh my God, my parent used to say that to me. Right. <laughs> and that, and that's, that's really 
you know, depending on the experience, can be really horrifying. (laughs) I've become my mother. Right. (laughs) I'm doing that thing. Yeah. And and I hated it then, and I I actually don't like it now, but I can't help myself but to do it. Um, You know, in in the converse, when a parent, I guess if if we didn't call it loyalty, if it was the unconditional love or whatever – uh, you see it with the parents of even serial killers, like the interviews I've seen with Jeffrey Dahmer's parents, for example. Like they they are horrified by the actions, but they sort of couldn't stop loving their child. Yeah, which is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little different phenomenon, but uh, yeah, I, I'm but not similar. It, it's not necessarily well. You could call it loyalty, but it's sort of like the converse because you're saying that even if they wanted to, it's hard for them. So in this case, even if they wanted to be like. Okay, you, you're ne- you're a psychopath, so now I can't love you. It's hard for a parent to do that because they're they're like instinctually so drawn to loving their child. Yeah, well, and I would argue that Dahmer's parents should not fall out of love with right. their kid. Yeah, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just, but the intuition would be like, well, no, I mean, he's a psycho murderer. Of course, they right. stop loving him. Right. So, in if we're looking from child to parent, right. it's a similar thing. Right. People will have parents who are psychopathic right. or terrible and – or, I mean, to put it more down to earth in terms of clinical stuff yeah. that I see all the time is there are children who grow, grow up in very chaotic families. Right. Divorce, drug addiction, abandonment. Even abusive, right? And right. And they'll still, they'll still feel or act out loyalty. Well, and they will be deeply uh, loyal. Uh, a, a common family therapy scenario is you have a parent – who is uh, who sexually abused the kids, for example, right. and has been put into jail? And the kids will they're 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 stuck between. They have to figure out what to do with their loyalty. Right. So they either get super angry and like completely denounce that person, but deep down they're they're still invisibly loyal. Right. Or they're just overtly loyal to their parent and say like they shouldn't be in jail. This never happened. You know, the, oh, it, it, it creates a situation where people have to deny – they have to deny something because they, sure. they're not compatible. You can't, you can't love your parent and accept what they did. It doesn't make any sense to right. the brain, and so you, ha- you have to choose one or the other. So you either accept it and hate them or you deny it and love them, and that's a tough choice for people. And this has to do with loyalty. And actually, Naj talked about split loyalties, which I won't get into, but anyway. So the idea goes, and I teach this concept in my family of origin class. So the idea goes, so because I, we need our therapists to know how they are invisibly loyal to their parents. Okay. Because it will affect the way that they treat and react to their clients. Got it. So when you, you become like your parents, so to put this in very you know, succinct terms, we become like our parents in destructive ways, in an unconscious attempt to get the love that we never got from them. Okay. So that's the idea. Um, now, loyalty, before we get to you, Berto, can look different to the individual, but in essence, it can be the same. Hmm. So, for example, let's say your father cheats on your mother, and it's complicated for you, and you're invisibly loyal to, you're, you have an invisible loyalty to your father. But you don't want to cheat on your spouse, so instead you play a lot of video games. Okay. So it's it, in essence, it's the same. You're distance, you're not giving the time or whatever, but right, and you're giving love to something else. I see. But it's not to a you know. So it doesn't have to be a one to one mimicking of the behavior. Right, but the essence will be the same. Or another common one is your mother criticizes you a lot, and you grow up to criticize everyone, but to you it feels justified. Right. Uh, another example is your parents are alcoholic, but you grow up to be sober, but you're incredibly distant and you work a lot or something. As if you were an alcoholic. Right. So the essence is the same, but it looks different to you because that's what your your mind does that to you right. to trick you into thinking you're fine, but you're able to express that invisible loyalty in an unconscious attempt to get the love from your parents that you never got. Got it. Um, and of course, it doesn't usually work, but... That's the idea. Because you're not, of, I mean, you're also not aware you're doing it in most right, cases. Right, right. It's sort of like a, a weird solution to a fucked up situation that ends up causing problems, you know. <clears throat> right. Um, and 
This is also similar to the repetition compulsion that Freud talked about in the early 1900s. Okay, so before we get to you, Berto, let's take a break. What do you say? Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break. Please become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. Be a loyal patron. <laughs> exactly. We give you so much, and yeah. and you, what you can give us is your, your imitations of is us. Your, is your, <laughs> your impressions of <laughs> yeah. us. Also, tweet Birdo at PsychoBirdo, and that psych O, the O is a zero. Psych zero Birdo. Just because you know he likes to screw with people. Also, if you want all of our episodes, they're all they're all on our website, and there's other fun stuff fun stuff there. You know, I was trying to not have a zero, but some someone else owned Psychoberto without the zero, hmm. so this was not necessarily a, a me wanting to mess with people. And at the end of the episode, we'll go over some patrons who will get some swag. What do you nice. say? Um, as you can see right here. To my right is what is that um, swag? Those are that's mugs Ooh. that will go to all the twenty dollar patrons. Nice. And okay, so Berto, invisible loyalty. As we were talking about it, does anything pop into your head? Uh, yes. I mean, I certainly have shown visible loyalty, and I'm sure invisible loyalty. So let's take my dad for example. The the situation with him where he would be not making money and he would basically spend my money too and all these things, right? Um, and yet to this day, I I support him, right? Yeah. So I, I show him loyalty mm -hmm. in a sense where I I could have said years ago, sorry, I'm, you're on your own. You know, you're an adult. <laughs> all right. So let me, let's break this down. So are people in your life not quite so happy that your that your dad is a drain on your finances. Some people definitely. Yeah. Right. So like my aunt for years was like you should not. Okay. So your dad was uh you know, we don't know where he was draining his money. We would right. speculate it was some sort of some sort of addictive behavior. Yeah, probably opioid. Or a combination. <laughs> yeah. Probably opioids is is the yeah. guess. Sounds that, like there was gambling too. Oh, gambling. Okay. Well, and he claims it was women. <laughs> okay, so let's just say all three. All three. That he was draining money away from the family, and it was harming people in his family. Right. Him, you, his, uh, you know, people around. And so in this quite overt loyalty to him, uh, you're 42? 43. You're oh 43 God. years old, and you're still giving money to him. Yeah. I'm and his sole source of income. Yeah. I mean, there's a practicality to it, but yeah. you're trying to—one uh, you, could say, depending—and, well, tell me if you think this makes any sense, that by—because I'm guessing you're ambivalent about doing it. I'm guessing you're just like, Yeah, well, I've been ambivalent about doing it the whole time. Right. And what's weird—I think I've mentioned this before—the trick I played on myself the whole time was, well, I mean, he's too old now for me not to support him. But I was saying that even when he was, like, in his 50s, right. you know? So— the idea goes, possibly, and you tell me, that by giving money to him, you're actually expressing an kind of not necessarily an invisible loyalty. It's just an overt loyalty, trying to get the love and attention from him or stability from him yeah. that you wished you could have got when you were younger. Right. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. Yeah. Now, there's also a sense of loyalty in that there were, there were elements that I did receive from him during some crucial years – that I feel grateful for, and if and I th I feel like if I hadn't felt that gratitude, I would have been a lot less inclined to give him money. And then, but I was like, well, he was a good dad to me in these ways, so I guess I should help him out, you know. Okay. So, what about other invisible ways that you might be loyal to, like him, that you right. would that you're. You know, similar to him. So, um, or your mom or your grandparents. Yeah, right. So he, you know, growing up around him, he was someone who would criticize things a lot, right? And and a lot of times he would rail against the world. So we'd be the, the typical evening would be us watching television in the the news. I come home from school, did my homework or whatever. And it's like 8 o'clock after dinner and the news is on. And we were in my grandparents' room 
and the news was on, and he's just like yelling at the TV, like God damn these insulting. Oh, and also being very sexist too, because usually there's a female presenter, and he's like, you know, this this prostitute, blah blah blah, stuff like that. Wow. Yeah, it was really bad, and he would just talk about all the corruption and and the you know of course he wasn't wrong about corruption or any of that stuff, but he was just yeah. constantly in rage against the machine. <laughs> yeah. So are you like that? I have been. Yeah. I've had episodes throughout my adult time. Uh, I remember when I first started going to therapy, I've told this before, I think, how uh, I, I arrived, I would come from uh, the east side and my therapy was in Seattle. And oftentimes I was late. And, and almost every time I would walk in and instead of like, oh, man, I'm so sorry I was late. I should change my pattern so I can stop being late. I would walk in with a frown and just start like, oh, my God, I'm so angry at the city. Like this traffic is so ridiculous. And, and a little bit of rain and everyone forgets how to drive. And it's just like – and I remember my therapist going like, wow, you, you really have a lot of anger right now. And I'm like, well, no, it, it's not that. It's just – it's just so upsetting. I was like, "Well, okay. Well, why don't we take you know take some deep breaths?" And I'm like, "No, I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I'm calm. <laughs> I'm fine." <laughs> but I, I remember that, and it was. It took me therapy to kind of look back and be like, "Oh my god, that's what my dad used to do. Mm. That's my dad. I'm being my dad." Do you think your dad? So in that scenario with you, you were deflecting. Was- Definitely deflecting. Uh, and relying on a on a a common sort of mode, and, right? And using something that's actually not technically inaccurate. No, traffic is terrible. We should do something about it. Do you think <laughs> your dad was deflecting from something? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I never thought of it that way, but now it's obvious because he is unemployed, living at home, completely dependent on his parents at the age of late forties. And he's got a child that he's got to take care of. And instead of being focusing his energies on that and getting a job again and paying for things and really establishing a base again, he's angry at the government and the world and just, ah, bah. Yeah, it's quite. I hadn't put that together, but that's a good point. That's quite consuming to to everyone in the room. They all have to focus on. This process, and they, you know. Exactly. And they cannot technically disagree. Of course, they could say like, well, don't call that reporter that or whatever, right? That there were some extreme elements. But they certainly couldn't be like, well, technically, the government isn't corrupt. It's like, actually, no, the government is corrupt. So it, he almost like it's a straw, the opposite of a – no, it is a straw man in a way. But it's it's like instead of – a straw man, you normally put it out there when you want people to attack the wrong thing. Yeah. And it's sort of like that because he – He's like, oh, my God, look at this obviously bad problem. Isn't that obviously bad? Everyone, everyone, look at that, right? Yeah. And <laughs> he might have even been either overtly or subtly drawing a connection to the fact that he wasn't employed to the corruption and everything that was wrong. Could and, be. Yo, and- yeah, no, actually, totally. It, more than subtly because uh, one other – okay, so the reason he – the superficial reasons why he lost his jobs, because clearly if he was on, under addictive terms, you know that might have been the real underlying cause. But the superficial reasons were that the hospitals were pretty corrupt. They, they used bad practices. The, the, it was poor sanitation. They probably were not following good procedures, period. It was probably unethical. All these things, right? So from his perspective, it's not his fault. He's just the, the whistleblower, right? Well, it's interesting because I've heard this story before, but – Looking at this angle, maybe he was really struggling with something while he right. was working in the hospitals in Bogota, right. Colombia, and he knew he was screwing up because of you know when you're struggling with an with an addiction right. or gambling problems, it's it's hard to perform well, and maybe that's why he amped up his rhetoric right. about the hospitals having all these problems because he was right. trying to deflect from what was really going on. Right. And you know what? Actually, that I can relate to this in uh, – there, there's previous times in my work life where uh, – and I had to identify this at the time. I remember being in a meeting and some something I was working on – I can't quite remember. One of my areas I, I was behind on. It was just behind, right? But I remember it's in a status meeting 
And I did this because instead of me like just being like, yeah, I mean, we're behind, right? I got so angry at some something else. Someone wasn't, you know, and I'm like, oh, well, you know, and it was totally the same process, you know, the same behavior. Um, yeah, so you're right. There could have been that. Oh, and then when he had lost those jobs, my grandma was tr- – my, my mom's mom was trying to get him jobs and admittedly in a sort of corrupt way because she worked for the Congress and she had all sorts of inroads with places and stuff. But from my perspective, it's like, okay, well, that sucks. But get the freaking job and then then start getting – then start sis- solving the system or whatever, right? Right. Instead, he was like, no, I refuse to take any of those jobs because this is a corrupt process. So it's the same kind of thing, right? right. It's like, all right, well, then what's your – and then, and then oh, the other thing he started doing is he started working pro bono. He would go help families who couldn't afford it. And, and so on the surface, it's like, oh, well, but the poor guy is offering their, his services for free. Well, yeah, but you have a family to take care of. Yeah. So it's like – I get it. You have a surplus of food. You gave 10, 20%. Give 50%. You have no food. You found a piece of bread. Your your son or daughter is hungry and you gave the bread away. That's not the way to do it. Right. It's interesting. So the way we would frame this is your dad had a quality in which he would deflect from his shame or his responsibility or something by railing against something uh, in society right and or in the broader communities so to speak and then you watched this right. and then when you grew up because your dad had some he, he gave you a lot of love he gave you right. a lot of good things but he also neglected you in certain ways right. and and you were generally mistreated like through the circumstances of your parents divorce and your right. mom moving away and everything and so you're ambivalent about your loyalty towards your dad as you're growing up towards right. your towards your caregivers you're like well I want to be loyal to them but I'm also like a little skeptical of their <laughs> right. of their their life you know yep and so you drive your loyalty underground it becomes invisible unconscious and you adopt through mimicry this quality of distracting from your own shame by railing against something in society, and then you go to therapy, and your yeah. therapist notices it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, do you do it in other contexts as well? You did. I, you did it at work, but I do it. I've done it obviously because over the years I've, be, I've become way more aware of it. Not. I didn't have this language that we're using right now, like the the. Uh, loyalty and things like that it was more i started becoming aware that i had rage bursts and that those rage bursts seemed really familiar and then you know so we worked through therapy in that uh and familiar to your dad yes right and so i have had cases in relationships and like i said at work where where it was similar where i would deflect Uh, I, i i mean i probably still do that on occasion with with a friendship or something uh, but it, it tends to be in more minor ways, not like a consistent major pattern or or in the case of my dad, in a life-altering way, right? Totally. Well, but, never never had been for you. Right, yeah. Yeah, so the idea goes is that through your therapy and through your uh, healthy efforts to uh, establish secure relationships, secure attachments uh, with various people in your life, through self-reflection, healing, uh, exploration, you're just generally more healthy and healed, and therefore you have less of a need to be invisibly loyal. Mm, in those you, ways, right? Yeah, and you have less of a you have less ambivalence about your loyalty to your dad. You know, you're from my uh, the way I would characterize your loyalty to your dad now. Is that because oh, you've seen us, right? <laughs> right, and you know I've heard you talk about him on the podcast and stuff is one of realistic love for him. Right. Like you're you're not busted up about your love for him. Right. And you recognize that he screwed up and still continues to. But, you know, you're you're at peace. Yeah. And with that uh peace comes less ambivalence, less need for denial of one's loyalty and less need for invisible loyalties. Makes sense. 
So good for you. Yeah. What about your mom? Um, oh, so we can definitely go there. I was going to touch on my uncle as well. Okay. Because uh, this is the uncle that I think I've talked about in the podcast before where I, 10 years ago, yeah, wow, 10 years ago, um, I had uh, basically a lot of ideas in my head, a lot of startup ideas, all these kinds of things. And at the same time, he was going into business on his own too. Yeah. And he's an inspiring, charismatic person, and he can really make you believe in that he's after something. And so I yeah. believed him. I've met him. And he's my uncle. I met him. Yeah. He's a very uh, – I, I mean, so the bad way to put it is that he's very in your face. Yes. <laughs> uh, the good way of putting it is that he's very charismatic, yeah, yeah. and he, he takes interest in people. Right. And he seems genuinely – uh, like good-hearted, right? And nowadays you don't actually. Even... Now that I think about it, he's like sort of an exaggerated version of you in right. some ways. Right. Well, yeah. and no mistake, why I am. Yeah. Uh, there's the loyalty. There's the imitation. Right. Right. Uh, so did you grow up with that uncle a lot? Oh yeah, because he was my second dad essentially. Oh. Uh, I spent out of my uncles. I spent the most time with him. Interesting. I uh, he taught me along with my dad, but he was the only other adult who taught me how to drive he he's your mom's brother he's my mom's brother yeah and he him and i would go running together he's the one who taught me how to run really Mm. we would do workouts together he taught me how to drive and he was so fun yeah he was so engaging and when he was when when he was younger not so the way you see him now he's been beat up a lot by Mm. the world and by his mistakes but before before he hadn't quite been right so it was all that charisma and everything in a younger package that hasn't been beat up by the world. So you would really believe him. Like, wow, he's, he's, he knows what he's doing. You know, like this makes sense. Yeah. Plus I was a kid, right? I'm a teenager. And so I looked up to him a lot. I, I copied his sense of humor. I copied his mannerisms. He, oh, one thing he would do is he would call people by different little nicknames and stuff. And I totally took that up and I, and just the way his, his mannerisms with his hands, how big he talks, all this is more him than wow. my dad. That's so funny. <laughs> like you didn't mention this when we went to Columbia. Yeah, I, I didn't, I mean, I don't often talk about it, but that's, that's the case. Yeah. Okay, so, so I, so he, when I met him, so, you know, stupidly, I, I didn't even think that I needed to know Spanish. I've talked about this before yeah. when, when I went to Bogota and I right away realized, my God, almost no one speaks English, including <laughs> everyone in Umberto's family. Right. And so I started just kind of adopting this stance of like, well, I guess I'm just going to be the silent foreigner in the room as everyone's talking Spanish, right? Right. I'm just like, I'll just, you know, I don't want to bother people to have to tell me in English what's happening. So I'll just, I'll just be a fly in the wall and I'm cool. And so I just sort of would kind of tune everyone out to some extent. Right. Also, another thing was when people did try to speak English to me, I didn't understand what they were saying. Because <laughs> it's cause the accent. It's so accented, yeah. you know? And so I... I also was just like, you know, let's just not bother. So so I just tried to blend in. And I think it's like day two, and your uncle, what's his name again? Tito. Armando T- is his name. Tito. Tito. He, uh, he was frequently trying to, like, through a joking, make fun of, sort of hazing sort of way, get me to not be the wallflower. Do you remember, do you <laughs> yes, remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, like he would say things and, you know, he was he was always trying to like, uh, I don't know, just get under my skin in a, in a in a nice way. Yeah, right. But it was, and I can take it, you know what I mean? But uh, <laughs> no one else was doing that, you right. know what I mean? He was the one who was really, you know, getting under my skin. Yes, yes, yes. He's the, he is the life of a party. Well, he used to be like that, you know, and he, um, so the, another interesting thing that I, I realized, uh, I was copying him without knowing. So when I've had uh, long-term relationships with with women, uh, or yeah, mostly longer-term relationships, because uh, like the short-term girlfriends, I don't think I, I used to do this. But uh, if a attractive female was in the vicinity, I would be like, "Oh my gosh, look at her! She's so hot!" Right in front of my partner. Oh, and this. Of course, would upset them. Yeah. And if there were other people around, they'd be like horrified by it, right? Yeah. 
But to me, I was like, what? I'm just pointing out this person's hot. Look at that, right? Yeah. Okay, and I, and I just thought, oh, that's just the way I am. But then I remembered one day that that's how he was. We'd be, for example, with his, his, his wife and his daughter and me, and I was staying over the, on the weekend or something, and we'd be watching TV, and there was like some show or something, and some attractive woman was part of the show. And he'd just be like, conejos, which means like bunny rabbits or something. And he'd just be like overtly talking about it. And so I kind of got Wait, that. wait, wait. Bunny rabbits? I don't know. It's just something he would say. Conejos. Is that what anyone else would say? Uh, no. Uh. <laughs> just bunny rabbits. I don't know why. It was probably the uh, bunny, like the Playboy bunny maybe or something like that. Okay. But, but it was very obvious he was essentially drooling over this person on TV. And I, I'm sure it happened in, in, with, in real life too. And so I just saw that and I thought, okay, well, that's what you do, right? Not, not explicitly, but in, in my head, I'm like, okay. And, but I didn't put the two together until years and years later when one time I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is what he would do. <laughs> right. So the hard pill to swallow that I often run into with my students at Antioch is that by doing that thing, by mimicking him and not realizing why or how, right. you were unconsciously trying to get love from him. Even that, though he wasn't even there. <laughs> even though he wasn't there or wouldn't right. necessarily care. Right. But it's this unconscious attempt at mimicry to gain love and attention from him. Right. Uh, so, and the hard pill to swallow for people is imagine he sexually abused you. Oh, right. And you hate him. And you were still trying to do it, right? right. And and the idea from a professor, me, telling the student, you might be acting like him because you actually deep down want his love and attention. Right. Oh, yeah. That's a very upsetting notion to people. Right. Because like in my case, it's not that hard for me to, you know, because I have all these good memories with both him and my dad, right? So for me... It's not hard for me to imagine why I would have wanted to imitate them, even yeah. if those, even if the behaviors I'm imitating, well, even if at the time, like with my dad's case, I knew at the time that he shouldn't be yelling at the TV like that. Yet, you know. Well, let me <laughs> ask you: When you were 22, would you have had the same openness to this idea, or would you have? Probably not. Yeah, I, I don't know. I certainly was blind to it. But would you have admitted, oh, well, maybe. Maybe I am imitating my uncle and my dad because I secretly want their love. I don't know. Probably not. Not not. Well, it might have been tricky. It's harder for more immature people or more, uh, you know, still healing people yep. to admit these kinds of yep. tricky situations. What about your mom? I mean, you um, didn't spend a... T- actually, actually, to, to, sorry, and I'll go to my mom next. To, uh, to your point that you just made, because earlier you were saying something about how sometimes they, uh, you know, in this, in this loyalty, you will do something but then justify it. Well, when I, I'm doing it for a good reason. Right. And I, re- and I actually can, can relate to that because criticizing, for example, is something that has been done a lot in di- different pieces of my family are hypercritical. And not just my dad, not just like my mom, my my mom's mom. You know, like there's there's a lot of hypercriticism, and I have definitely been like that with some of my relationships. But when I certainly when I've done it in my mind, I'm like, well, th- I mean, they really are screwing this up, or this is really a valid complaint. Like you know, right? So I can totally right. So to, to help people who might have questions about that, they're like, well, wait, so if I ever criticize something, I'm blah, blah, blah. The idea is is the emotional energy around it. That's yeah. what I tell my students yeah. is that it's not the criticism or the, uh, you know, you know, noticing an attractive woman walk across the room. It's the intensity and what it produces socially around you. Yeah. Uh, when you criticize, if it creates a very similar social scenario as the one you experienced secondhand growing up, then yes, it's more likely an invisible loyalty. Yep. So you keep avoiding your mom. All right. So let's go to my mom. All right. So um, this one is definitely the trickiest because you, you didn't spend 
as much time with your mom growing up as you right. did with your uncle and your dad. That's right. Because she moved to the United States. Well, yeah. Well, she moved from New York, from Massachusetts to, to Tacoma, right? She crossed the country oh. as far as she could. And then you and your dad moved back. Isn't to that home. weird? Like literally the opposite extreme. Right. So you and your dad and your mom were living in... In Massachusetts. In, okay. And your mom moved Mom moved to, to Tacoma. Yeah. I went to Columbia for a year. And then moved back with my dad to New York for two years or almost two years. And then he moved and, back. And then, then I moved back again to Columbia by myself. And then later he moved back. Okay. So it was kind of a yeah. ping pong. So you, were, you lived with your mom from zero to what? Like zero to almost three, I think. So, so, so you didn't – and then you moved back in with your mom when you were 15. When I was 15. And so, for, but only for the high school years, right? So like three years. Right. And you probably didn't spend – So like, I've li- I lived with her a total of like six years. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So, and not of the years when you're really absorbing your parents' Probably personality. Yeah. Uh, so, is there anything you can say there? Yeah, I mean, there are there are aspects, but it is, but but when I look at it through this lens, it's super interesting, because, for example, there are things that my mom does really well that I wish I did as easily as she does, but unfortunately. Probably because I wasn't around for those crucial times, I didn't end up being, quote-unquote, loyal to those aspects. For example, my mom is super organized. She doesn't – I mean, in general, doesn't procrastinate. She is very uh, diligent. She is – you know, like all these very organized, very methodical things, right? She is hyper-cautious. But but you know like because my dad is is a hypochondriac or a, not a, a not a hypochondriac but my dad was obsessed with germs and and disease so I am like that but my mom is more about like not taking any any chances any risks right no you're not gonna do a band you're not gonna do a startup you're not gonna no 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 you work a steady job you don't go out at night like you don't take any risks damn it right <laughs> whereas with my dad it was more like don't touch that that's probably got bacteria on it. Right. So in terms of Naja's language, it's possible that this isn't invisible loyalty, but well, I guess you could say it was you you had to choose because your parents put you in a position where you had to choose who to be loyal to. Mm. You were uh, you and you so you chose one over the other and you chose your dad. Right. And by definition, the, the more unlike your mom you are, the you're, the more loyal you are to Oh, right. And actually, that's a, good, that's a good way to frame it because the other potential is that I certainly was probably subconsciously trying desperately to be loyal somehow to my mom because she must have left because of me, right? So if I could be – and I'm obviously not literally thinking this, but if I could be loyal enough, maybe I can have her back. But the challenge is I don't know what to be loyal to because I don't know her, right? So – so this is an example where we would clash. I remember one time I was visiting her, and I, I think I've told this story before. I, I was coming down the stairs. She was in the, in the little TV room, and I, and I would walk by, and I would wave and say, hi. And then a little bit, and I'd go to the kitchen. A little bit later, I'd come by, and I'd look, and I'd wave, and I'd say, hi. How old are you? Um, well, this was probably when I was nine, maybe. Okay. Maybe seven, seven or nine. And I'm doing that, right? After the fourth time, maybe fifth time, she's like, stop it. Why do you keep saying hi to me? Right? So, yeah. like, my yeah. dad would have never had that reaction, right? Yeah, right. And, and so I was like, whoa. I got, like, really taken aback. Like, my head got cut off, you know? Yeah. Um, so I didn't really know how to relate to her. Yeah. I didn't know how to talk to her. I didn't know what she was well, into. Right. <laughs> yeah, the message is when you bother me... I am going to react very strongly and I'm not going to help you out. Right. Like you're just being a kid. Right. Probably expressing the fact that you miss her (laughs) on some level and you're going to get your head, you know, chopped off without any kind of guidance. You know, there's a, you know, any parent can, you know, attest to getting annoyed with repetitive behaviors by their children, especially ones that, demand your attention. And so you could certainly imagine after the fourth or fifth time getting a little annoyed, but you know, a parent who was raised differently 
would say something like, hey, uh, why don't you just come join me? Right. Or, uh, or maybe like switch it around in your head and just be like, okay, if I'm going to deal with this, I'm going to make it sort of fun for me a too. Or something, yeah. So um, I'll just start counting. Good. High number seven. <laughs> I like it. I said, let's see if we can get to a hundred you know? <laughs> or just some kind of, you know, creative right, right, way right. other than biting your head off. Right. You know? And, and uh, so, so I, I don't know all, all of these things, whether they're related to this topic or not, but the fact is when I think of ways in which I would be loyal to my mom, I do do that now more in my life. And maybe some of these are actually somewhat healthy in that um, I started realizing, okay, I kind of have to be responsible. I have to, you know, I, I have to save my money more. I have to, you know, these, and these were all things that my mom's really good at, but those didn't come natural to me at all. The absolutely all the behaviors I was mimicking were my dad's behaviors. So it's really interesting that you frame it that way that like I I was you know overdoing it in the direction of my dad. <laughs> right. So what's the final word about invisible loyalties, Berto? Uh I am I'm going to think more on this because honestly it's an interesting model. I hadn't I I hadn't realized this was a thing and and actually even just in our little conversation here that I put together this this idea of like oh wow, my dad was deflecting and I'm deflecting when I do that. Because I had already put together years ago the idea of like, oh, I'm copying him. I shouldn't do that. But I, I hadn't put that little extra bit together of like, why was he doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really fascinating. I also find it really interesting that that in the case of my mom, when we first started this conversation, in my mind, in fact, the reason I was delaying on my mom, I'm like, okay, there we're going to have tons of material. But what's interesting is, yeah, of course I have a lot of resentment and and hurt feelings and trauma, but I actually ended up not copying her a lot and and to, sort of to my detriment in some ways because she had some good patterns that I wish I could copy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that's kind of fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So I forgot that I should probably mention some things in which uh, some just minor because cause we're getting into some deep things, which I think are probably more relevant, but just some other minor things. Like for myself, I remember as a teenager, I think I'm sitting in the backseat of the car. My dad's driving. And I noticed that my dad, he, when he's driving, he would play with his hair on the back of his okay. head. And so he's just got he's got his left arm up. He's driving the car. And he's sort of like just sort of randomly playing with the hair on the back of his head. Uh-huh. And he and he would just have this sort of pattern where he would sort of scissor his his, okay. his you know with his fingers, and I'm like I'm like that's kind of a weird thing that my dad's doing. And then all of a sudden I realize I'm doing it at the same time. Oh, as you were realizing that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wait, I'm doing it too. That's hilarious. Um, another is my mom. God bless you, mom, if you're listening. Uh, I don't know if I ever t- told my mom this. I think I have. Um, anyway, so when I was a kid, my parents were extremely adamant about me finishing the food on my plate. And I think that's a good, you know, okay. parenting yeah, style. Yeah. I, I was the same yeah. to the extreme though, to the point where I, I think I got traumatized by it. Well, <laughs> uh, so when I would, uh, as a young person, I'd be like six or seven, I would have a really hard time eating certain uh like beef if it was mm. if it was real gristly. Oh yeah, yeah. Because you gotta chew forever. Yeah. And so and I have like this really fast gag reflex. Oh god. And so I would try to swallow it and it oh. wouldn't go. And plus like I was never one of those kids who would like give the food to the dog or throw right. throw the food out. Like I could have easily faked it but you wouldn't yeah, yeah. i could have gone to the bathroom spit it in the <laughs> toilet but it just ne- that just never occurred to me for right. some reason and so i and my mom was one of the main people who enforced this rule and again i think it was a good rule overall but there were a few moments you know say a handful of times when i was a kid where i was left at the dinner table by myself just you know me too just trying to oh my god just trying to choke down like oh i have traumatic memories of that yeah <laughs> so uh, and you know, and in terms of like mistreatment, uh, I would say this is uh, <laughs> this is just normal kind of childhood living. But but I always thought like, man, you know, my mom 
and my dad, they have this really huge ethic on um, finishing your food, and it, right. it's very important to them. And and I think you know it's a it's a good quality. Anyway, I'm at a funeral or a reunion or something big big family event. There's like I don't know a hundred family members at this restaurant. I think it was a funeral actually. This is like 15 years ago, and. I can hear my mom talking to one of my distant, you know, one of my extended family members kind of behind me. I can, I can overhear her oh, conversation. Yeah. And at first I'm like, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I was like, wait a second. What is she talking about? She was talking about, she, she says something like, when I was a kid, my parents were so big on me finishing my food. Oh, wow. It was so annoying. And I there were times when I would be at the dinner table. Every all my older siblings are in are you know excused from the table. I'm sitting there by myself, trying to choke down this this meal. Just copying verbatim what you would have said. And I couldn't stand it. It was the worst. And I'm like, what? what? Like she, one, she had never said that, you know, and two. If you hated it, why would you? <laughs> why would you recreate that? <laughs> right, right. You know, so that's oh, an a, an example of invisible loyalty, right? Uh, you know, again, you know, if my oh. mom's listening, I, I I don't hold it over you. I think it was probably a good decision. If the only consequence to my life now is that when I eat out, I can't just eat part of my plate you know right. I, I have to finish the whole thing and that doesn't always do well for dieting but um but i think the good qualities that i that i acquired from this parenting practice was one of not being picky and also realizing that i'm a part of a bigger picture you know like just because right. i don't want something doesn't mean that I get to have what I want. Right, you know, it's right. basically like anti-spoiling yeah. kind of behavior. Because if you let kids dictate everything about their food, any parent will attest to, your entire life will be dictated by their whims. Because right. they're not hungry one moment, they're hungry the next, they hate this one food, they want this other food. Like if you, if you, if you don't draw the line with kids somewhere, right. uh, your, your entire life will be screwed and you'll raise a kid who... Yeah feels super entitled and so i think this is part of that effort yeah. but anyway hearing my mom <laughs> talk in the exact same tone about her experience as i had was very shocking to me oh my god that's hilarious there was by the way there's a story that i just realized is me imitating my dad when i was little uh that's super uh like you you'll see why it's so weird so funny um when i was around maybe Seven, eight, let's say, right? Seven or eight. I would be in the, in the, so upstairs in our house, I had my room and then next to it was something they called azotea, which is where you would go sit and get some sunlight because the, the, it had like a glass ceiling sort of. So you would get some sunlight. And then uh, in front of that was our main bathroom. That was the bathroom where everyone took showers. So a lot of times I'd be playing around there. And then when, whenever my dad was, not all the time, but a lot of times when he was taking a shower, I would hear like this kind of sound with a little bit of splashing water, something like, right? And I always wondered, oh, like uh, that's what I wonder what what is that part of the showering process? And I didn't know what it could be. And so when I would take showers, you know what I would start doing is I would start because in my head what I realized was, oh, I know what it is. This is probably a way to get water off of your body while you're showering so that by the time you're done showering, you don't have to dry yourself as much with a towel. So your towel stays drier. So when I would take showers at that age, I would I would slap water off my arms and off my legs like this. <laughs> and I always thought, oh, that's so clever. That's how you get water off of your body. You should tell that story. I mean, you know, God bless him, but you know, one day he's going to pass on. You should tell that story at his memorial. Oh God! <laughs> oh my God! Oh, that is hilarious. That is hilarious. Okay, so let's give out some uh, swag to some new patrons. We have Kate from Pennsylvania, Northampton, Pennsylvania. 
We have these are all new new patrons. We have Liza who didn't have address, so I can't send you swag. We have uh, we have Mistin Mistin. That's kind of a cool oh Mistin yeah, Mistin Mistin from Pantago, Texas. We have Carol Mistin you. Since you've been gone away, I've been missing you. <laughs> we have Carol from Omaha, Nebraska. We have Melvin, but Melvin didn't have an address here, so we can't send swag. We have Robert from Edmonton, Alberta. Oh, wow. We have Yolanda from Downey, California. We have Jessica from Winthrop, Massachusetts. Alexander from South Euclid. Are all these new? Ohio, yeah. These are all wow. these are all patrons of the past like few days. It's crazy. Peter from Peter from Hungary, I believe. H U. It's probably Hungary, right? Probably. Uh, that's that's great. Uh, Melissa from Marshall, Minnesota. No, oh, my sister. That's a lot of potatoes, man. My sister used to live in Marshall. We have Ke- is that what we are Marshall is from? Uh, maybe we have Keelan from Great Britain, Stirlingshire. Sterlingshire, Falkirk, Falkirk, Falkirk. Yeah, like, like that's a uh, Tommy from San Diego, Jill from Sussex, East Sussex. Wow, it's all over the place. Valerie from Dell City, Oklahoma, and David from Simpsonville, South Carolina. That's crazy how much like variety we see here. Yeah, yeah, all it's over, all over, yeah. All over. No one from North Korea, which is kind of weird. Actually, wait, I, wait. You said it's kind of weird. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I looked at a uh, this analytic about where our listeners are from, uh-huh. and there, there's only like ten countries around the world that don't have data indicating that they're oh, listening, wow. and one of the countries is North Korea. Right. But I mean, they can't access us. Right. right. China, they can't. Or can't yeah, absolutely, China. Okay. Uh, the the only other countries are like the Sahara Desert countries. Oh, okay. Where I'm it's guess, just too hot. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's too hot for psychology. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Let let us know what you think about Invisible Loyalties and send us your own stories. Maybe we'll read them on air. Please take care of yourself because your parents also deserved it. <laughs>